Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And Grant, today we're going to start with a math question. Can I pass that on to someone else? No, 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 no. All right. No, humor me here, okay? Math question. Mm -hmm. I have seven oranges in one hand and six oranges in another hand. What do I have? Uh, Thirteen oranges. I have really big hands. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> or really little oranges. <laughs> Your hands are kind of manly. <laughs> Do you shave thank the backs? Thank you, thank you, Vanessa Redgrave and I. We we have these big paws. <laughs> That's a really terrible joke, Martha. I thought you would like it. It is a good one. Try it on your kid, It's a good terrible, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, I thought you would enjoy that. You know, good terrible jokes have a place in English, and they They have a place in the the language that we speak, right? They do, and they have a place right at the beginning of our show. (laughs) And they have a place in our email box, words at waywardradio.org. Send us your best, worst, good jokes. (laughs) Or call us and tell it on the phone, 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, Martha. Hello, Grant. My name is Almira, and I'm calling from St. Paul, Minnesota. Hi, Almira. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Well, it's such an honor to be in your program. I love your show. Thank you very much. Great to have you. Yeah, we're glad to have you on the show. How can we help you, Almira? I'm from Natal, a city in the northeast of Brazil. Growing up, we were always uh, used to have interesting expressions, and... uh, we, we had one that when it was rainy and sunny at the same time, we always said, Oh, chuva com sol, casamento de raposa com rochnol, which means rain and sun, the marriage between a fox and a nightingale. And I thought, you know, could this be done in other languages as well? Is it a custom for other people to say things like that? And I thought I would call Martha and uh, Grant and see what's going on. Oh, what a great question. That's a good one. Yes, indeed. Yes. Now, what does that mean to you? I mean, I know literally it means the sun is shining and it's raining, but why do you think? To me, it means something strange is going on because they're opposites to each other. Exactly. That's exactly it. And all over the world, there are all these expressions like this that uh, reflect this kind of bizarre union of unlikely things because it is... That, exactly. If you're talking about the rain coming down at the same time that the sun is shining, and all over the world, you find expressions like, oh, in Korea, I think it's a fox and a tiger getting married. Mm -hmm. I think actually in parts of Brazil, snails get married. Have you ever heard that one? No, I have not. Mm. But Brazil is so big that I suspect there would be other expressions. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, wonderful. No, I didn't know other people said that. Yes, and in English, often the expression is, it's a monkey's wedding, or the monkeys are getting married. <laughs> or the devil's wedding, and there's there's some very unkind ones about the devil beating his wife, too. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, we get that, that question all and the time. And those are, so, these variants are pervasive uh, throughout the European cultures, throughout the Asian cultures, everywhere the language has been recorded. Mm-hmm. People have noted that this is mm-hmm. odd. Because ordinarily the uh, fox would eat the nightingale, right? right? That's why it's weird. Right. I would be darned. I didn't know that. Um, you know, as, as you can imagine, being sitting right in the, in the tropicals or under the equator, this happened practically every day. Mm, mm. And do you get a rainbow afterward? Uh, most of the time, mm-hmm. but, you know, the, the thing was it was raining and it was sunny at the same time. And we, as we kids, we loved it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's gorgeous, isn't it? Yes. Well, it's a pleasure talking with you. So, uh, listening to your program for so long, and it's been just wonderful to be here. Almira, thank you so much for calling. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Ciao, ciao. Yeah. Ciao. Thank you ciao. again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And in a lot of countries, it's somebody's giving birth, uh, an animal, mm-hmm. a hyena or a right. fox or a, uh, some, some creature is giving birth, right? Yeah. You usually get a sense of some kind of folklore behind it. I mean, like, we often get that question about the devil beating his wife, which mm-hmm. is sort of a grisly yeah. expression. There's one notion that maybe it has to do with the devil being angry that the sun is shining. And right, that the day might be beautiful instead yes. of terrible like he wants it. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so he's beating his wife, and those it's, are her tears, right. the rain. So yeah. there are many long lists of these words yes. all over the Internet, and we will try to find some of the best ones and point them out to you, hundreds and hundreds of items yeah, on these yeah. lists. Call us with your language questions, 877-929-9673, or send them an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is uh, Jeff, and I am calling from the south branch of the Osabo River in Michigan. Oh, really? On That's the river where you itself? Live? Well, we just got off the river from fly fishing, and we are in our campsite now eating Spam, tomatoes, and corn. Didn't catch anything, <laughs> huh? <laughs> we released them. They were huge. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. You wouldn't believe it. Yeah? Tro- yeah, trophy fish, right? Long as your arm? <laughs> exactly. Nice. Well, Jeff, what would you like to talk with us about? There's a phrase that my mother uses, and I used it in a piece of fiction, and my editor circled it and said, what is this? And the the word is punched out. My mom, when um, put a, if you put a suit coat on, she would look at it and say, "Well, you can't wear that. It's all punched out." And what I came to figure out what that meant is, it sat on the hanger too long, and the shoulders got punched out. I guess from from the weight of being on the hanger. Mm-hmm. And I I liked the phrase. I thought it was an interesting phrase to describe a piece of clothing, but. Apparently, my editor didn't and never had heard of it, and so I was curious if that has any history beyond my mother. Whoa, a punched-out shirt or a punched-out coat? Just punched-out clothes, yeah, just yeah. describing clothes as punched-out, and and that, I, from what I can get, it doesn't necessarily mean old, mm-hmm. as far as more... Uh, the way she used it, it seemed more the the way it sat on the hanger. Well, I can certainly picture it. I think the mm-hmm. expression is self-explanatory. I'm not familiar with any kind of history of it. It sort of reminds me of the term that's uh, more common in the African-American community, butt sprung. Have you heard that one? I have. In what context is that used? 
Yeah, butt sprung refers to clothing, particularly around the the hips, that uh, is is shaped by the wearer. It still retains the shape of the person who who had it on. So it's got a bum shape inside that skirt. Is what you're saying? Yeah, right? yeah. Or it's it's altered. The shape is altered, and then by extension, it means um, you know you can get home tired and butt sprung, or or that uh, that couch is butt sprung. Oh, that, that's I see. you know it's so it's, it's taking the shape worn. of a derriere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah. the punched out, yeah, I, I know the look as well, but I don't know the term. It's when you put a too small hanger on a coat, right? And so the, the corners yeah, of the hanger maybe poke through where they shouldn't. Yeah. Or you could kind of see the shape of the corners. Instead yeah, of the, you can the, see where the almost like, I don't know, like little uh, talons or something coming up on a devil there. in the Yeah, in devil the horns, that's right. Yeah. Instead of the big, but, uh, fat, rounded corner. I, I, I liked the phrase, and I liked the play of the words, but... Um, did your editor yeah, keep it? I like it, too. That I change it. Oh, oh yeah. I, I well, would disagree looking, with your editor looking, there. Was it fiction or nonfiction? It was fiction. Oh, well, then fiction it probably would have, should have been a little easier to keep it. I'm surprised that they changed it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it just he really felt that nobody would understand it. and hmm. Solipsist. And I don't know. Like you say, it's self-explanatory, but again, I, I, I don't know if it automatically makes people think of a hanger to a coat, but... In any case, I, I just thought it was interesting, and I thought, mm-hmm. oh, I guess that phrase is not used maybe very much beyond my family, or but well, I was just curious about if it had any history, if it if it had appeared anywhere else. Not that we know of, Jeff, but it works for us. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Good luck with the fishing. Oh, thanks a lot. You have take, a great show. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Howdy. Howdy, who's this? This is James from Dallas, Texas. Hi, James. Welcome. What can we do for you? Well, I was watching the 1951 movie with a friend of mine recently called Rhubarb, which is based on H. Allen Smith's book. It's about a cat that inherits a baseball team, and (laughs) hilarity obviously ensues. Obviously. And there is a scene in the movie where a reporter has called one of the representatives for the team and is asking why they called the cat Rhubarb which we hadn't thought of, and the representative offers a few explanations, says it's a Donnybrook or a dust-up, and then the caretaker of the cat comes on and informs the reporter that a rhubarb is what happens when there's a sale and two ladies reach for the same dress at the same time. Mm, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> and we were just kind of confused as it kind of left us wondering what exactly a rhubarb was. So we're not talking about the vegetable. Didn't think they were. We're, So we're talking about a fight then or uh, some kind of argument or some kind of intense staring. What is it exactly? Does it involve a fight? I mean, is this the kind of thing you'll get thrown out for? Have you ever been to a sample sale in New York, Grant? Oh, my gosh. I have been spared. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it's funny. You've watched the movie, but have you read the book Rhubarb by H. Allen Smith? No, I have not. In the book, he explains explicitly where he gets that term rhubarb. So he picked it up from Red Barber. And Red Barber, if you remember, was the famous sportscaster. And then Red Barber says he picked it up from Jerry Schumacher, who was a New York sports writer. And Jerry Schumacher says he picked it up from Tom Meany, who was another New York sports writer. And so the earliest use that anyone has of this term, remembering this term from being used, is the late 1930s. But Red Barber was magnificently popular, very well known for his language. And so as soon as he said rhubarb to mean kind of a fight where the manager comes up to 
at the mound mm. during a baseball game and kicks the dirt and gets in his face, um, you know, and gets thrown out. And then everybody comes then on ev- the field. Yeah, right? and, and if you hear Red Barber use the term rhubarb to describe that, then it's easy to see how it could get popularized from there on. But he's generally the popularizer, but not the coiner of the rhubarb. And it's still today used in baseball, not as often, but does that jibe with what you saw in the film? It seems to. Yeah? Okay, great. And then do you know Donnybrook? Is that a term that you use? No. The only one I could I knew anything about would have been dust up. Okay. Donnybrook is, um, what is it? There was a fair in a part of Ireland, Ireland yeah. uh, in Donnybrook, Ireland. It was yeah. known as a raucous, yeah. loud affair. Rough and tumble brawling. Yeah. yeah. So a Donnybrook is a, a loud commotion. Yeah, with yeah. a small d. With a small d, yeah, yeah. exactly, Donnybrook. Yeah, but why rhubarb? Well, there's some theories on that. Um, some people think it's just kind of a corruption of hubbub. Mm, but yeah. there's no real good reason for it. Yeah. The sports writing is a bit of a mystery. Yeah. These guys are always working to um, embellish their language, and they'll just coin stuff on the spot and see if it sticks. It sort of sounds like what it is, right? Yeah, rhubarb, yeah, rhubarb. rhubarb. Does that work for you, James? That works fine, you Okay, super duper. Thanks for calling. All right, thank you all very much. Take care, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. You too. bye-bye. There is a really good entry for rhubarb in Paul Dixon's uh, baseball dictionary. Oh, which is a fantastic dictionary. Uh, yeah, it's very baseball, good. Right? Good entry. I Look yeah. it up there. The other thing to say about rhubarb, you know, this is what they call the fake crowd yep. noise in, yep. the, in movie scenes yep. when you've got people talking who aren't the focus of the shot. Rhubarb, rhubarb, yeah. rhubarb. They, they may yeah. be saying rhubarb. Sometimes the they extras. say peanut butter and jelly right. and other things. But yeah, but it's called, yeah, but it's called rhubarb. 877-929-9673 is the number to call to talk about language or send your questions and email to words at waywardradio.org. a lot of fun with some Spanish riddles lately. Here's a translation of one of them. I come from singing parents, but I'm not a singer. I have a white body and a yellow heart. What am I? A white body and a yellow heart. Is it some kind of bird? Flower? An egg. Egg. Ah, Right. Comes from a bird. Ah, My parents are singers, right? Ah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 877-929-9673. Hey, we've got something special for those of you who love our show but could do without the ads. That's right. Imagine away with words, the same engaging conversations, the same deep dives into language without advertising interruptions. We're talking about our ad-free podcast feed. It's sleek, clean, and it's just for our supporters. It's at waywardradio.org slash ad-free. It's inexpensive easy to sign up for, and works with all major podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's an affordable way to support the show and get a seamless listening experience. And if you're feeling generous, why not give a subscription to another Away With Words fan? That's waywardradio.org slash adfree. Sign up today. Your support means the world. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and we're joined once again by our quiz guide, John Chinesky. Hello, John. 
Hi, Grant and Martha. How are you guys doing? Welcome Hi, back, John. buddy. What's been cooking? Now, I don't know if either of you have ever read any of Sue Grafton's novels. She's uh, a Louisville girl. Yeah, yes. occasionally. Oh, yeah, Terrific. Occasionally. Good. Yeah, I'm halfway through one right now, but I can't tell you which one because it forms part of this quiz. Oh, ah. I see. Yeah. You may have heard of her Alphabet series, yes. right? Yeah, its lead bit. character is private investigator Kinsey Malone. Yep. Uh, the reason it's called the Alphabet series is because Grafton's book titles begin with A is for something, Mm -hmm. B is for something else, Mm -hmm. right? Now, the words that these letters begin are all appropriate to some degree to a mystery novel. For example, the first book is, A is for an excuse usually intended to avert blame or punishment. Do you know what A is for? Alibi. Alibi. Yes, A is for alibi. Very good. We're just going to do a few of these. Let's see how many we get. I'll give you the letter. Let's see if you can guess the book title. Now, if you need a clue, detectives, I will give you the definition of the word, okay? All right. right. So your big clue is these are all words relating to to mystery, okay? B is for? Burglar? Yes, B is for burglar, one who commits the act of breaking and entering to commit a felony. Very nice. E is for? Any guesses? Extortionist. No, that's a good Um, guess, though. Eulogy. Not eulogy. Mm. E is for something that furnishes proof. And evidence. evidence. Yes, evidence. G is for? Um, Graft. It's a slang um, term, rather archaic, for a detective. Oh, for a detective. Um, gunslinger. Gumshoe. Um, no. Gumshoe, gumshoe yeah, is yeah. right. G is for gumshoe. H is for? Holmes. No. H no, is I think for? Kinsey can homicide, hold her own. Homicide. Homicide oh, is right, good. Grant. Very good without a clue. I is for? Inquiry, um, inquisition, um, inquest. These are great. No, not inquest. I is for free from legal guilt or fault. Innocent. Innocent is correct. J is for? Jurisprudence. (laughs) J is for jury. It has to do with the courts, not jury. J is for judge. Judgment. J is for judgment. K is for? K is for one who commits the H word. K is for killer. Okay. N is for? NOLO. What's that? NOLO. (laughs) NOLO. There's a legal term for you. Very good. Very good crossword entry. A loop with a slip knot that binds together. The more it is drawn, yes, noose. Very good. O is for? Opportunity. O O is for? Good. For a person who is lawless. Outlaw. Outlaw. O is for outlaw. Very good. Q is for? One that is sought or pursued. Um, quarry. Quarry, Ooh, yes. Nice. R is for? Think uh, firearms here. Revolver. No, it's not revolver. Ooh, think of a glancing rocket. rebound. Oh, ricochet. 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 Oh, R is for ricochet. Rebound. Okay, only a few more. U is for? Under unsolved taker. Under, under is a way to go. Yeah, not undercover. Under. No, this is specific. This is specific to beaches and the sea. Tow. Undertow. Under oh, okay. U is for undertow. Yes. Mm, okay. V is for vengeance. Ooh, vengeance, vengeance is correct. Yes. Vengeance will be mine. Yes, it will be his. Give it to him. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. Here's the last one. The twenty third. W is for. Unprofitably used, made, or expended. Wasted. wasted. Yes, wasted. Mm. Just like we've wasted this time doing this quiz. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
So nice to waste another 15 minutes with you, John. 15, 20 minutes or Thanks, so. Thanks, John. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, guys. We'll, we'll see you next week, all right? all right? See you then. Same Bye-bye. time, Bye, same bad channel. Yes. Thank you, sir. And if you want to talk language and words with us, the number to call is 877-929-9673. Send us email to words at waywardradio.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, uh, this is Bob Reeser. Hi, Bob. Welcome. Where are you calling from? Tallahassee, Florida at Florida State University. Well, hello. Welcome to the show. Thanks. What can we do for you? Well, uh, I'm a college professor and associate dean here in the College of Ed. I've been here for about 35 years. Oh, wow. Uh, I had a question about um, my critiques of the papers my colleagues and students write. Um, Oftentimes when I'm looking at these papers, I find myself commenting on the quality of their writing. So if I think the sentences are well-written and the paragraphs are well-written and the ideas they're expressing are clearly understood, I'll I'll write something on their papers like well-written or clearly written. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've been using those expressions now for for many, many years. And recently I've been thinking maybe I should start using some other expressions to uh, express that point of view. So I I went to the thesaurus, and I tried to look up um, uh, synonyms for the term well-written. And oftentimes they're they're just too specific, things like, I came up with things like amusing, absorbing, and that that just don't don't really capture what I'm trying to get at. Hmm, You don't get a lot of amusing and absorbing... Text. Well, they, they, are, they might be amusing or absorbing, but then that isn't always the case. I'm, right. I'm trying to, so I'm wondering what thoughts you might have about terms they might use other than well-written or clearly written. So your goal here is to reinforce good behavior on the part of the writer. That's, that's right, if okay. you want to take a behavioral point of view. Yeah, because you, you, you're trying to improve their writing, whether it's a colleague or a student or, or whomever. A, that's what you're up to, right? Sure. It's not just like saying, I approve of you as a human being. There's a comment that I loved getting when I was at university, and this is more like this. Because mm, it's super good. easy to write. Oh. Frankly, let's admit it. Student papers in particular are really inconsistent. They might start out strong and in weekly, or they'll have a few inspired moments along the way. But then there's weak parts that should have been cut or should have never been put down in the first place. And so you're going to draw attention to the strong parts of it without spending too much time as a professor who's got 30 to 60 papers to grade, right? That, well, that's exactly right. And, and that one of the problems is, because I'm commenting perhaps on two or three paragraphs that are well-written, I'll, I'll indicate using track changes that these paragraphs are well-written, and then I find myself 10 paragraphs later saying the same thing. So mm. I like to kind of use different terms mm-hmm. to, to get across mm-hmm. that point. And so you're talking really more about something that is well-crafted or well-argued rather than just grammatically correct, right? That's correct. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Now, I might not even agree with the ideas that mm-hmm. are stated. I mm-hmm. might even think that, that they've stated something that I, I disagree with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nonetheless, they've, they've, they've made the point clearly. Yeah, Wow. Yeah, and I think clarity needs to be recognized because uh, having edited many texts myself, it's a rare thing. Well, I often tell my students that it's more likely that that a paper that's well-written, even if the ideas might not be everyone would agree with, are more likely to be published than something where they've they've really designed a good study, but it hasn't been clearly written. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting that Grant brought up what meant a lot to him. I remember uh, a philosophy professor who would just put a check mark next to things oh, that yeah, he liked that. or two check marks or two check marks and two 
underlines, you know, underlined twice. Right, right, right. But I'm thinking, I mean, it sounds like you want more of a dialogue with your students. I don't know if you have time for that, but... Well, you know, a lot of my doctoral classes have been small. Mm-hmm. And, and more recently, I've been working primarily with young professors. I'm now an associate dean for research, and I'm helping them craft their their grant proposals and so on. So mm-hmm. I like to give them more feedback than simply say, yeah. you know, well-written or give them a couple of check marks. So. Right. Well, I wonder what other professors say. We could uh, certainly throw it out to our listeners, but um, does what do you think about more like this? I think that's okay if we're you know if, we're, if we clearly indicate which paragraph right. we're mm-hmm. referring a line to. or an arrow or mm-hmm. something, right? Great, and I'll be looking forward to hearing from other uh, uh, listeners who might have some suggestions too. Okay, yeah, we'll pass them along if we get them. All right, or when we yeah. get them. Cause we're <laughs> well, sure I really enjoy your show. Thanks very much. <laughs> Our yeah, pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bob. Bye. 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 That's the editor's dilemma, right there in a nutshell, it is. right? Yeah, and the professors, I mean, he raises a really interesting um, question about how you handle your students' papers. There was an article in the Chronicle of Higher Education just recently by Ann Curzan, Mm -hmm. whom we know, um, and she was talking about the difficulty of grading papers because... Um, sometimes you're grading grammar, and it depends on, I mean, different professors' understanding of grammar. And, right. and and some professors are grading based on their pet peeves when they shouldn't be. Right. It's utterly arbitrary in some cases, right? Yes. What you think is standard, other people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yes. So what is constructive for you to do mm-hmm. as a and professor, you, and right? And as close to universal as you can get. Yeah. 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 So it's fair across the spectrum of papers they'd be grading. Right. And certainly you want to grade for typos and, and um, failing to proofread, but um, but it gets tricky when you get to points of grammar because some professors know grammar better than other professors. Mm-hmm. So, or so if, how do you do that? if it's not the point of the class at all, right? Right. So that's the question for you, dear listener. When you're grading papers or when your papers are graded, what do you like to put down or what do you like to read? What encourages you to do better and what discourages you from making those same old mistakes? Mm-hmm. And maybe students can tell us which yes, ones please. are most constructive for them. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. <laughs> Grant, another word puzzle for you. I went to Paris. I went to Egypt. I've been to New York. And I will be going to Rome. And all this I do by simply sitting in a corner. Who am I? Whoa. Cool, right? Sitting in a corner. Yeah. Um, sitting flight in attendant. a corner. Mm, well. Sit in the corner of the gallery. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I don't know. Yeah. What's the answer? It's going to be something clever. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> what? A stamp on an envelope. Ah, nice. <laughs> Very good. But you can only use a stamp once. Well, if it gets <laughs> forwarded. Postal fraud. I swear it. No, that's a good riddle. I'm glad you like it. Send more words at waywardradio.org or tell your riddle into the phone. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, uh, is this Grant? Yes, this is. Who, who am I speaking Hi, this with? this is uh, Peter Love from uh, East Hampton, Connecticut. All right, welcome. What can we do for you? So I was out in the woods with my dog the other day, and I'm very fond of snakes, and I'm, uh, I run into them all the time in Connecticut, um, which you wouldn't think of as a hotbed of snakes, but we actually have lots of them here. And was in the woods and saw a little snake curled up in the sun on the path and was staring at it and thinking that's a garter snake. And I just was wondering about 
the the term garter snake and thinking, you know, some people call them garden snakes, some people call them gardener snakes, and was just wondering what was correct and if there was a specific correct name for them and where the name garter snakes came from, Mm -hmm. if that's right. Well, you know what garters are, right? Yes, I do. They're those bands that used to be fashionable yeah. for, for men to wear, mm-hmm. um, holding yeah. up stockings. Well, I don't right? know if they were ever fashionable, but they were necessary. At one point. There we go. And, yeah, unless you wanted your, your stockings socks. pooled around your ankles. <laughs> right. <laughs> These days, most people just know a garter from the little ceremony that, at weddings, right? Yeah. yeah. But even yeah, there, it the tends to be decorative. She doesn't need it. Yes. yes, there we go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you're right. The uh, the snake was named for its resemblance to that little fashion accessory. Yeah, the, it, it wasn't like the garters that you see in weddings that are covered in frills and bows yeah. and things. It was just a, a strip of elastic or rubber or, or string or cloth or something. Yeah, and it had stripes running the length of it, mm-hmm. running, running all yeah. around it, just like that snake. So when we talk about the real name of this kind of snake, we've got... Opposing forces here, right? We've got the scientific name, which is pretty strict, and then the mm-hmm. common name, which is uh, not necessarily the same everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I think in Florida, garter snake also refers to the coral snake, which is poisonous. Right, you know, right. That yeah. bright and, color. And you have heard gardener snake mm-hmm. and garter snake, as if it's a snake that's guarding your body or something. Mm-hmm. And there are all oh. grass snakes oh, garden, and what else? Garden snake. Garden snake, yeah. Garden. Mouse snake, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but the, the original was garter. Garter, yeah. Garter yeah. snake. But, but oh, you, well, that's very interesting. So you do oh. find all of these different terms for the exact same species, exactly yeah. the same. It just depends on where yeah. you're from and what tradition you come from. Thank you, Peter. You're great fun, sir. Yeah, happy hiking. Thank you very much. It's been great. Okay. Thank you. Take Take care. care. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Here's another brain-busting riddle. You ready, Grant? All right. (laughs) Okay. Listen up. What does man love more than life, fear more than death or mortal strife, what the poor have, the rich require, and what contented men desire, what the miser spends and the spendthrift saves, and all men carry to their graves? Oh, I feel like I've heard this one, but I don't remember the answer. What does man love more than life, fear more than death, or mortal strife? I don't Mm -hmm. know. The answer is nothing. Ah. Plug in nothing to all of that, and it works. It works. Can't carry carry nothing to your grave, right? That's true. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Sherry Hagen, and I am from Menominee, Michigan. Hi, Sherry. Welcome. Hey, what's up? Well, I have been listening to your radio show for a while, and I hear about all these family language conflicts, and I had one that I wanted to share with you folks. Oh, please. I was born in Clintonville, Wisconsin, but I grew up near Bear Creek, Wisconsin. Now, the creek is spelled C-R-E-E-K, but everyone around that area pronounces it Bear Creek. And then my... um, girlfriend and I met my husband and her brother and ended up, you know, dating, getting married, and they're from the Minneapolis area, and they just didn't understand why we would pronounce it as Bear Creek and not Bear Creek. And what did you tell them? And I'm wondering where that comes from. What did you tell them? Well, I tell them that's the way it's always been pronounced. Mm -hmm. And this is a point of dispute. Is this, is your marriage in trouble? Oh, 
not at all. It's, okay. it's more of a point of dispute between um, Jack's brother and his wife than than my husband and I, partly because I just don't get teased very easily, but um, Jack's brother Jeff always had a saying that he'd use with my sister-in-law, and my husband could could uh, tell you that running joke that he always uses, if you'd like. Oh, oh really? sure, yeah. Is he there? Sure, put him on. Oh, yeah, he's there. Okay, here's Jack. Hello. Hello, Hi, Jack. Jack. So what's this joke? The joke is, okay, you say you were born in Bear Creek. Well, I sleep between the sheets. What do you sleep between? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I see where this is going, and we don't have to go there. Right? No, not going to answer that one. <laughs> but we get it. Nope. Fill in the blanket home. <laughs> hmm. It's a good joke. So you say Bear Creek. Yes. And Minneapolis, is that where you're from? I was born in Minneapolis. I went through junior high in uh, central Wisconsin, um, junior high and high school, which is where I met my, my wife, Sherry. Okay. Crick is all new I, to you? Let, let's just say I had heard Crick when describing a small, barely noticeable trickle of water running down between the fields in uh, you know near a farm. Mm-hmm. But as far as something that you would put a name to, I see. You know, you you you, you jump across a crick. Um, a creek just feels like it's going to be uh, a little bigger than just jumping across. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Mm. I, I've never Maybe. heard that distinction before. There's a little bit of history here. You know, coming from where you come from, you probably were just as likely to say crick as the members of your family who do say crick instead of creek. You know, in the northern part of the Midwest and even as far west as the northwest in parts of California, crick is pretty well documented as as being one of the pronunciations of C-R-E-E-K. Now, it's not that common in the south, which kind of throws people for a loop because they tend to associate these alternative pronunciations with the south. And in the northeast, they don't say it almost at all. But where you're from, both Wisconsin and Minnesota and the surrounding states, it's a thing. It's a mappable dialect that we can we can put a name to, we can put a history to, and we can show that it's fairly widespread. Thank you, Jack. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. More of your questions and stories about language. Stay with us. Got a minute? We need your help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey. Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success. Thanks for making our show even more successful. That's gum.fm slash w-o-r-d-s. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Martha, you remember Jonathan Green? 
Sure, the slang guy, right? Right. British slang lexicographer Jonathan Green, he's the guy who compiled this awesome three-volume dictionary called Green's Dictionary of Slang. Use it all the time. Fantastic work. Well, what he's done with this work and the database that it's based on, he's exported some data for some very specific categories. And these have to do with words for being drunk, for the act of drinking, for the place that you drink, for the person who pours the drink, um, all of these different terms. And he's exported them and he's put them on a timeline, separate timelines. Mm. So you can actually see them in context through history. And it's kind of an interesting way to examine these words and kind of start to understand the periods in which, uh, for some reason, English just turned up all these extra bits of slang. Mm. Uh, It's a great perspective on English that you don't usually get from a dictionary or a thesaurus. It's a nice add-on. So if I were writing a novel set in the 18th century, for example, I could go find fun words that yeah, uh, it's a good unusual start- words that mm-hmm. people were using. That's right. It's a good starting point for that. If you were doing that, I would probably recommend you use the Oxford Historical Thesaurus mm-hmm. to give you even more context, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a place to start. He's also working on, and this is something we can't talk about too much on the air, but you can look on his website. He's also going to talk about parts of the body, particular parts of the body oh, and okay. the acts that we do with them. Okay. Um, so yeah. the intercourse and that sort of thing. Interesting. Um, yeah. And so because he comes from a place of science. It's Mm -hmm. not just about giggling at these naughty words. It's about figuring out why we have these words, sometimes more euphemistic, sometimes literal, at these different parts in Mm -hmm. English language history. So if I were having a great time in a pub... Several hundred years ago, I might oh, use some a, other words. There's besides, a ton of these. I like yeah. the ones in particular for the person who pours the drink mm-hmm. or the person who owns the bar or pub where you are served. Right. We'd say bartender today. Uh, yeah, but you yeah. might have said knight of the spigot or squire <laughs> of the gimlet or rum dropper or jump or lamber down, right? And, rum dropper. And then the, like what they would pour into the glass yeah. would be maybe snake bite or pig's ear or old tiger or cougar juice or mm. howling modoc. <laughs> Good stuff, Give right? Me some cougar juice. But there's a flavor there. There's a sense oh, yeah. that uh, somebody had a good laugh and it stuck because it was a funny word or it had uh, some flair to it, yeah. some special sparkle. Yeah, that's glorious. Yeah. So we can find this online. Sure, at jonathangreen.co.uk. Be warned that Jonathan spells his first name O N instead of A N. So jonathangreen.co.uk. Okie doke. I can wait to check it out. And if you want to talk about any aspect of language, you want to share a story about words, call us 877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywordradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Nadia from Dallas, Texas. Hi, Nadia. Welcome to the show. Hey there. What's up? Well, I wanted to call because uh, my best friend and I, um, as people often do during work hours, um, we chat online um, through instant message and, um, you know, we kind of start and stop throughout the day and um, she'll, she'll say, I'll ping you later. And I thought, I'll ping you later. That's only a term I think that we use with each other. But then I was asking around and people, you know, that maybe have technical jobs um, were saying that they use that term. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was wondering what the origin of the word ping is and if it had anything to do with ping pong, the arcade game. Ah, you can see why you might think that, yeah, right? Yeah, sure could. Back and forth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So she says she's going to ping you. It means she's going to reach out and see if you're available to chat, something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, but we right. never, you know, we never say, hey, I'll pong you later. Like, no. You know, I don't have time <laughs> to respond, but... 
I'll respond to you later. So, so there's yeah. some history here, and it involves sonar, submarines, um, TCP/IP packets, and um, instant message, as you've just noted. If you go back in English, maybe 150 years, you will find ping being used as an, um, an automatopoeia. It's a word that represents the sounds of metal striking metal. That ping. the ping, usually a sharp, high sound, right? Oh, yeah. And so yeah. it predates it predates ping pong. It predates ping me later. It predates all this stuff. But by the time that sonar became a thing during the middle of, I, I don't even know how early it was, mm. let's say sometime after 1900, sonar was a real thing. And you use sonar underwater by sending out this, this high-pitched, super strong signal in the water. And it hits a target or a rock and bounces back. And then you can read that and figure out where you are and how to turn, how to navigate and so forth. And they've always called that a ping practically since day one when you do sonar. And so when IT started developing, when you started getting things like TCP IP packets, when the internet became real in the late 60s and this, all of these technologies were developed, the idea that you send a, a packet out on the network that reaches a remote device and it says, hey, are you there? And the remote device sends another packet back saying, saying yes, I am. Send your message. And then they do this back and forth. That became called a ping. So um, so TCP IP, that thing that I always see when I'm setting up my email yeah, or exactly. whatever, that means a packet? Well, of... that's the technology under which the packet operates. So it's a, it's a kind of transmission protocol. Okay. It's two, actually two protocols together that work and form the basis of how the Internet works and most office networks for that matter. Um, it's really interesting. And so later when you get more advanced communication on top of that Internet... This is, Nadia, where you get your ping from because the people to use these first technologies tended to be the geeks, the people who knew the underlying hardware and software and network protocols, and they're the first ones to use ping as in ping me later or I'll ping you when that, when that job order comes in so we can work on it together. Hmm. Now, ping pong, Nadia, is a separate thing, but they are connected Interestingly enough, but they're connected at the sound level. The sound of ping pong represents the sound of a ping pong ball on the paddle and then on the table. Ping pong, ping pong. And it comes up about, oh, late 1800s. Ping pong is a term for the sport. Yeah, it it was originally played on a table. I know you mentioned that the arcade game, but... (laughs) Oh, no, no, not at all. On the table. It's just like the table tennis today, basically. That's what we're talking about. Um, and, and so the ping in the name ping pong probably comes from the sound of the ball, and it is directly related to the verb ping, meaning to make a high, a high sharp, short sound. So it's just a coincidence that they both have to do with, well, technology or computers. Yes, or, exactly. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So mm. complicated past. Who knew that submarines were involved, but they are. Nadia, are you in the technical field or, or close to it? I am, actually. That's funny because ah. both me and my friend are both in technical, different industries, but both in technical fields. So oh, okay. we must have picked it up somewhere. Yeah. It, I mean, it's interesting that it left you guys, Grant, the computer geeks, and yes. and migrated over to the rest of us. You know, Nadia, it's actually at the point where ping is kind of considered old school jargon or old school slang, hmm. depending on your perspective, because I think it goes back 20 or 30 years in the IT fields is being used, and it's kind of the... Uh, a term that almost marks you as being a Unix beard, as they call them. <laughs> um, so there you go, Nadi. That's the short history. Thanks for your, your pong on that. <laughs> <laughs> My pong. Now, wait a minute. We talked about pong recently on the show being um, 
you know, sort of a musky body odor. Oh, yeah, yeah, related to pungent, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> thanks, Nadia. I really appreciate well, the call. thanks so much. Love your show. Yeah, thank thanks, you Nadia. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Language is a miracle. <laughs> call and talk with us about it, 877-929-9673. Grant, I have another riddle for you. Okay. There is a word in the English language in which the first two letters signify a male, the first three letters signify a female, the first four signify a great man, and the whole word signifies a great woman. Wow. What is the word? Don't know. Hmm, What is it? A heroine. The word is heroine. Heroin, H-E-R-O-I-N-E. Yes. First two letters are he, then her. her. Then hero, mm-hmm. and then heroin. heroin. Nice. That's a very good yeah, one. Yeah, that's I a love tough it. one, right? That is a tough one. We await your riddles. Try us. See if you can stump us. 877-929-9673 or email words at waywardradio.org. Hi. You have a way with words. Hi. My name is Julie. Hi, Julie. Where are you calling from? Pasadena. How can we help you, Julie? Well, a few months ago, I was at a family reunion, and I was enjoying listening to my 20-something-year-old daughters and nieces talking. I love to listen to the young people talk. That makes me sound like an old fogey, but anyway. (laughs) Um, And the expression that I get a big kick out of is, I know, right? And I stopped them, and I said, I love that expression. It conveys so much. It, It has to do with, you know, I hear what you're saying. I understand. Do you understand what I'm saying? And... I started wondering how that works in conversation. And then just this last weekend, I noticed it is, at least in a different part of the country, it's truncated. Now it's just, right? Mm-hmm. With that uplift. Mm-hmm. Not like uh, the ums and the ers, the discourse particles uh, that you talked about some time ago. It seems to fill the same need as other words that we've used in the past, like, you know, and for sure, um, Correct, but it, but it's in the form of a question, right? Well, it's it like, seems to be. Like yeah. you know is. You know is often in the form of, like, you know? You know. You know, uh-huh. Or, um... Yeah, but it's the other person saying it. It's like you say something and then the other person says, right? Right. But yeah. by right, they mean you're right. I agree Isn't with it? you. Yes, right. yes. We are, like, in, we are on the same page. Yeah, well, it's, it's a little more than that. It's not just a, it's a mirroring of the other person's feelings or what they've said. It's agreeing with them, and it's throwing the conversation back to them so that you are not taking control of the discourse. I mean, you're doing the other speaker a favor by agreeing, af- affirming what they're saying, and then letting them you know, keep the speaking position. Usually. Sometimes you go off into how you know right. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's weird because, because if you picture it, it ends with a question mark, but it's a statement. It is. It's, it seems to be more exclamatory. Yeah, I don't know how long it's been around, but I will tell you that I've only noticed it in the last year and mm-hmm. more among mm-hmm. younger folks exactly. rather I, than older. As I said to my cousins, I, I really think it's, it's a lot like um, you had a show on American Sign Language a while ago, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's, an, there's a, a sign which means uh, really or honestly, certainly, mm-hmm. and I think the same sign would be used for this uh, expression of being in agreement or emphasis. 
Wait, so the mm-hmm. ASL sign doesn't cast doubt? Because this, cause this uh, I know right, doesn't cast doubt. It's total agreement. Exactly. It doesn't cast doubt. It's, okay. It's it, agreement and uh, emphasis. Okay. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's been around long enough that there are entries on Urban Dictionary. There are Facebook groups that have come out against it. Apparently, this is something that raises <laughs> ire. Thing. I don't understand why it raises ire. I do know that some people are afraid of the new. Perhaps that's it. <laughs> it holds a firm lexical position of affirming something that's been said. And we have a lot of those things, things in, in conversation and in dialogue where... We let the other person know that we heard them. We might let them know that we agree with them. We do, hmm, huh, yeah, right, really, oh, right. We've got all these things that we say. Indeed. We have to indicate that we're paying attention to the speaker. Mm -hmm. If you want more information about this, this has been discussed in a couple of places online. Look on Language Log. These great linguists, these friends that we know, um, they really just get into the meat of this and have a lot of commentary from a variety of sources. And there was a pretty good discussion on askmetafilter.com, which is um, a great place where people ask questions and the community at large answers. Just can find more perspectives on this, including the Carpers, but also the people say, like, I say it and I think it's useful. Julie, thanks so much for your call. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Thank take, you very take much. Take care now. Bye, Julie. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673, or send your emails to words at waywardradio.org. Here's another riddle. It was sent to us by listener Tom Weber, and it was originally in Portuguese, but it translates this way. Why is it that the bull climbs the hill? Don't know. Because it can't go underneath. <laughs> All right. It's true, yeah, right? I've heard it's variants. like the chicken crossing the road. Yeah, I've right? heard variants of that in English. Yeah. yeah. For, oh, in, in really? kids' riddle books, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It usually involves an right. elephant or some other obviously big creature. Oh, yeah? yeah, even yeah. bigger than a bull. Going yeah. over the hill. And of kids a variety of things, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Kids' riddles are just as good as adult ones. Words <laughs> at waywardradio.org or 877 929 9673. And you know, we're on Facebook, and anytime somebody posts a riddle on Facebook or a puzzle or a Joke, there's usually a really long discussion and lots more of the same. So try us there, too. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, I'm so excited to be on the air. Um, My name is Amber. I'm calling from Berlin, New Hampshire, and I work in a prison. And one word that I am really curious where it came from is the word shank, like to mean like a homemade weapon. I had heard shiv before, Mm -hmm. but shank is more like a newer term that everybody's using. I don't hear shiv very often. Shank and shiv are the same thing? People talk about them like they're the same thing. For those of us who have never been to prison, can you tell us what a shank or a shiv is? Um, usually it's some kind of a, a homemade weapon that people make, you know, a sharpened out toothbrush mm-hmm. or a mm-hmm. sharp piece of wood or some kind of a um, rod or something that's sharp on one end. So you probably know shank as it's related to the part of a horse's leg, right? Yeah, exactly. Like the, the first place I heard from it probably is just like a beef shank. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So so. Over time, shank has meant different parts of a leg, but generally uh-huh. we know shank now to be from the knee to the ankle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there are a wide variety of terms related to that. 
But that is a particularly interesting bone on an animal because it is long, it is straight, and it is strong. And it has been used since prehistoric times to create weapons and to create tools for digging, for carving, for doing a variety of different tool-related tasks. And oh, so, then that follows real easy then. Yeah, yeah. it's totally easy, yeah. <laughs> and so you'll even, you'll even see uh, a little bit of a skeuomorphic representation today in bone-handled knives, which actually oh. are... The, oh. You can actually split the top of a shank bone and insert uh, an arrowhead or a piece of glass or a bit of obsidian or some other sharp object in there, wrap it around with sinew or twine or sisal or something like that, Mm. and you've got a great weapon if you're out in the woods, If I mean, over the millennia, you know, to to do what needs to be done, kill a rabbit or uh, carve off a piece of hide or whatever. Hmm. So it's always been a homemade weapon. Shank is a term for the bone has lent itself to a wide variety of things that resemble the shape of a shank or are related to the shank in its use, or have just even a vague relationship to some of the things that the shank is used for. That's so, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, so thank you so much for looking into that. Yeah, That's... no problem. You know, there's a, a as someone who studies slang, the the world of prison slang is incredibly interesting to me, and so I love hearing from you, Amber. And I hope that you'll come back to us again in the future and yeah, tell us bring some more us of what more. you're what you're learning there. All right. Well, definitely. Thank you so much. Yeah. Take care okay. now. Okay. Thanks, Bye-bye. Amber. Bye bye. If you've got some special jargon in in the field in which you work, give us a call, 877-929-9673. Email us as long as you'd like, words at waywardradio.org, or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Grant, I have an aphorism that I thought you would like. The good thing about lending someone your time machine is that you basically get it back immediately. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> words of wisdom right here on Away With Words yep. 877-929-9673 email words at waywardradio.org things have come to a pretty pass that's all for today's broadcast but don't wait till next week to chat with us join us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes or SoundCloud check out our website too waywardradio.org where you'll find a dictionary a newsletter a language blog mobile apps and a discussion forum and you can listen to hundreds of episodes of past shows for free and you can leave us a message anytime at 877-929-9673 share your family's stories about language or ask us to resolve disputes at work home or in school you can email us too that address is words at waywardradio.org our production staff includes Stephanie Levine, Tim Felton, and James Ramsey. Away With Words is independently produced and distributed by Wayward Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who believe in lifelong learning and better human communication. The show is recorded at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Adios. Ciao. Potato and I like potato. You like tomato and I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. But oh. Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's gum.fm slash words. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.